Hey, good morning, Lifeline. My name is Corey Stolzfus. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, um, I have the privilege of serving our church by working with our youth ministry on Wednesday nights, um, along with uh, other incredible leaders, uh, Brian, Courtney, Stephen and Misty, Colson, Isaiah, and Chris. Um, we have a ton of fun with those high schoolers, and those guys are the reason that every Wednesday those kids want to come back. So um, those, those guys are great. A few more quick things about me. I'm 20 years old. I love the outdoors. I mean, if there's anything to do with hunting or fishing, man, I'm there. I'm all in. Um, uh, related to that, I have a picture I want to show you guys. Um, Wes gets to show a picture of his family, so I get to show one of mine, right? But I, I'm single, so it's a little bit different. Um, so this is my hunting dog, Waylon. And so you know how everybody says that, like, dogs are chick magnets? I, I don't know what to tell you. I think he's a dud or something. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's not working out so far. So, all right, before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for today, and thank you for the opportunity to come here and worship you, um, just hang out and fellowship as a church. I uh, pray that as I speak today, that you would speak through me, and that it's uh, nothing that I want to say, but it's um, what you want to say, that you would speak through me, Father. Pray that you would just uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what you want us to hear. Um, and just bless us today as we go from here, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you might be thinking, what does a young whippersnapper like me have to say to you um, that actually might pertain to you? And truth is, maybe nothing. Um, but my hope is that after today, we can all walk away from here looking more like Jesus. Um, so for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a series called Legends, and as we looked at some of these stories, we've realized that these stories don't point us to the amazing people that are in these stories and the incredible things that happen, but they actually point us to God and ultimately His character. And we've learned that they actually have something important to say about your life and about mine. So rewind to last week, Isaiah talked about Joseph and really highlighted Joseph's time in prison, and he asked the question, like, what is your prison, or what thing holds you captive or binds you? Um, and brought us to the place that we could see faith is what's going to carry us through and guide us into the life and plan that God has for us. This week, we're going to start by asking another question, and it's, have you ever felt pressured to do something? It's a question I'd be kind of shocked if anyone could answer no to, because throughout each day, we probably feel some sort of pressure, uh, whether it's at work, we have customers not happy. Maybe it's a good pressure from work, we're just so busy we can't keep up. Um, maybe it's pressure to do something you feel like you shouldn't. Or maybe it's something as simple as trying to catch a bigger fish than your buddy just caught. I personally like to go fishing with Jordan Eaton because I don't really have to worry about that a whole lot. Oh, he's not here so he can't defend himself, that's easy game. Um, for me personally, I know I often feel the pressure to make something of myself, and I'm asking myself questions like, what am I doing to be successful, or what direction do I need to go with my life? And I think those are questions that a lot of us can relate to, and especially people my age uh, coming out of high school and into college years. But the reality is, we all feel pressure at some point in one way or another, but how we choose to respond to that pressure and make decisions is ultimately what's going to matter. 
And the Bible is littered with stories of people under pressure in all kinds of circumstances. Um, But today we're going to open up the book of Daniel. And when we look in the book of Daniel, uh, we see a couple examples of how people illustrate how we we should respond under pressure. Um, First, let me give you a little context real quick. So at this point in history, Israel had been besieged and overthrown by Babylon. So Babylon would be kind of over in modern-day Iraq area, and they came over to modern-day Israel area, and they took it over. Um, And when they came over and took it over, they actually took a bunch of the Israelites with them back over to Babylon and kind of forced them to assimilate into Babylonian culture. Um, And then from there, the king actually had his officials choose people from the nobility of Israel, and his guidelines were like the wisest, the smartest, the handsomest, the strongest, like all these different things, like these are the elite of Israel that he chose to be indoctrinated for service in the king's court. Um, So we're going to jump in and look at a couple of these guys' story that were chosen to serve the king. So let's go ahead and start with Daniel 3, 4 through 6. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So right away, we kind of see that king has an expectation, and he expects everyone to bow to his statue that he created as soon as they hear the music. So now let's go to verse 12. There are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So... Kind of have some tattletales. Um, it's funny. I texted my family the other day, and I was asking them, like, hey, do you all have any stories, like, from us being kids or, like, us tattling on each other or something funny? And the response I got back was, well, you're normally the one who tattled on us, so you should know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, so you kind of see the, the classic tattletale situation. Some of these, the king's men, and the king's men would kind of be like today's we have our president here and then his cabinet, like they're his advisors, the people he kind of sets over his government below him. Um, so they come and they say, hey, you know those Jews that you picked to serve you? They're not, they don't give a rip about what you just said about bowing to your statue. Um, and man, Nebuchadnezzar, he just comes unglued. He becomes irate after hearing that the Jews he elevated into his government are not listening to him. Uh, I don't know if anybody, does anybody remember the movie Elf? Got any Elf fans in here? Uh, you remember the part where Buddy's dad has an interview with Miles, the big author, and they're trying to figure out a book plan for this next book, next book they're coming out with? That's kind of where my brain went because I envisioned this guy as Nebuchadnezzar, just like the angry Elf. Like he is not happy right now. Um, And so in the words of Buddy the Elf, Nebuchadnezzar is being a real South Pole elf right now. Um, So the king orders that these Jews be brought before him, and actually, he surprisingly gives them another chance. 
in uh, verse 15. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So this is kind of a funny situation. Like, I imagine, because I played football in high school, I imagine this hot, sweaty coach down here on his knees, whistle hanging out of his mouth, And he's just like, all right, when I blow this whistle, you're going to blow that man off the ball. And if you don't, I'm going to crab you till you puke. And so that's kind of the situation where I'm I'm thinking Nebuchadnezzar, he's just kind of like, he's really irritated right now. Um, So kind of imagine like the pressure these guys are feeling right now. In the next few moments, they get to have the opportunity to save their necks or they're probably going to relate to a rotisserie chicken a lot better than they'd like to. Um, so time on earth might be well done, maybe well done. Uh, <laughs> so let's look at their response in verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it, And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So, these guys don't really care about his threats. Um, They even get a little bit salty with him, like, we want you to know, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it. And so he gets like just so mad again and he orders that the fire be made seven times hotter than it was before and so these the king's guards escort Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they take them up to the furnace Um, and doing a little research about the Babylonian furnaces they were actually built kind of on a hill with a hole in the top and a hole out the side so when these guards walked them up and they came up over the edge they pushed them in But then, being so close to the fire, they burned up and died themselves. Um, And so, from there, look at verse 25. He, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, said, Look, I see four men loose, walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. I hope you guys don't miss what just happened there, because somehow Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not harmed. And the Bible says they actually don't have a trace of smoke on them. They don't, like, you wouldn't be able to tell that they were in the fire. And all these other guards just died. And then also remember, the king asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was like, what God will be able to save you from my hand? And there was a fourth man in the fire. So God took care of these guys, and he was there for them. So I'm going to assume and a crowd decides that there's someone here who probably feels like they got thrown into the fire this week. Just let this story give you hope and a faith that God can save you from it. But it's so important that we maintain the mindset these men had. It's the even if he doesn't mindset. It's where we fully know and fully believe that God is capable of rescuing us from our situation. But realize he may not choose not to. Or he may choose not to. And if he chooses not to, we should try to open our eyes and really 
see if God is trying to show us something else. In this case, however, he chose to show up in a big way and show Nebuchadnezzar that he is the God who saves. So listen to how the king, Nebuchadnezzar, responds in verse 28. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. But pause for a second. Back then, in ancient kingdoms, a lot of times the people worshipped the king as their god or one of their gods. So for him to praise another god as the one true god would have been both extremely humbling for him, but also like people aren't expecting that at all. Um, so they, they get to hear about this Hebrew God and be like, oh, okay, so maybe I should learn about him. Um, but the thing that really amazes me about this story and these three guys is none of them probably looked at the furnace and thought, I'm, I'm going to be a legend after this. They weren't thinking about what people might say about them or what might be written about them after they die. I, I know I'd probably be thinking more along the lines of, man, why is this guy got to throw us in the fire? Like, Maybe I can bribe him with some camels or something and get out of this mess. Uh, but instead of panicking or camel bribing, this is where their character took over. These men were, these were men who possessed a strong conviction and a faith that was not going to allow them to compromise. And these three men made a global impact when they didn't crumble under the pressure. And these three men provided an opportunity for God to show up in a big way when they were faithful. These three men left a legacy. They left a legacy that when the going gets tough, people know they're not going to back down. The legacy that you can trust God not knowing the outcome of your situation. And this legacy outlived them. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are you and I doing today and tomorrow to leave a legacy? Are we treating people as if they are created by God and building a legacy of love from the church? When we go and swarm Los Amigos, because everybody knows we're going to swarm Los Amigos, are we going to treat our servers like they're the best thing since sliced bread? Or, oh, and leave a legacy that lifeline people love people? And there's a million ways to leave a legacy but find one that's unique to you, or maybe you and your small group come together and you're like, hey, this is a legacy that we could really get excited about leaving. Um, so before we go, I want to just share a quick story with you about someone who left a legacy bigger than themselves. Um, this is Dawson Trotman. I'm not sure if we have a picture or not. Uh, in the 1940s, a crisis began on college campuses where ideologies began circulating in classrooms that weren't healthy. In response to this, Dawson actually created an organization called the Navigators to minister to students and point them towards Jesus. During the summer of 1950, Trotman took some of the students on a ski trip in upstate New York, and on the way out there on the boat, he actually figured out that this girl couldn't swim. So he sat her on the boat in the middle next to him just so he could be close in case anything happened. Um, unfortunately, something did happen, and as they were motoring along, they hit a big wave, and a couple people were thrown from the boat, him and this girl being one of, or two of them. So, Trotman hits the water, and he's immediately thinking, like, this girl can't swim, where's she at? And so he finds her and goes over to help her, 
but she's in such a panic and she's so worked up and freaking out that she's actually hurting him trying to help her and fighting him. So he actually makes the decision to go underwater and pushes her up until the boat comes around. Um, Sadly, by this time, he had swallowed too much water and passed away. But Billy Graham heard about this, and he was on a crusade in Oklahoma. He came from his crusade to Dawson's funeral, and this is what he said about him. I think Dawson had personally touched more lives than anybody I have ever known. His death is just the way he would have planned it. And Dawson was just just a normal guy like the rest of us. Um, He left a legacy by the fact that he was not willing to back down. He could have tried to stay up and maybe they both drowned. Um, But he's just a testimony of a modern day legend of faith who gave his life fully to Christ and decided, you know what, like, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to love people the best way that I can and um, actually love people so hard that he passed away from it. So, actually, with that, we're going to wrap up and close. And I'm assuming we're probably getting to Los Amigos kind of early. So, (laughs) but yeah, we'll go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for today and just um, the opportunity that we have and that we have had. And I pray that as we go from here that um, we just, we want to serve you with all that we have and try to leave a legacy for you, Father. I pray that you would just bless us as we go, keep us all safe, um, bring us back next week. Uh, Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen.